Take your Bible now and turn to 1 Peter 3, and we're going to pick up in verse 8. I have written in my notes here, it says, confession before I share this morning. I'm debating whether or not to read that note or not. It's right there, and, I, and because I just said it, I probably have to. And I just will. I'm just going to. I'm going to confess to you guys. Last night I was in my office at my house upstairs and just staring at the ground and staring at the wall and staring at my dog and trying to study. And I was just exhausted, just tired. It was like two in the afternoon, you know. Not really. But I wanted to go to bed. I just wanted to go, I just, I just wanted to, go to bed, but I had work to do. I had work to study and commentaries to read and sermons to listen to and notes to prepare. And I was stressing out about how to teach this portion of Scripture in a way that is applicable, that is illustrative, understandable, that is accurate, that is anointed, and that is full of God's agape love. I was like, man, Lord, this is... And I was freaking out. Because I know there's so much depth in the text here. I don't want to leave anything on the table. If you guys have ever sat through my teachings before, you know I try and give you every single thing that's in there. That's why we got through two verses last week. (laughs) And here's what the Lord spoke to me last night. He said, Luke, instead of stressing about teaching it, instead of stressing about illustrating it and applying it for others, the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, Luke, if you just make this your own, if this is really who you are, if this is more important to you than anything else, that's what matters. I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody out there listening. As a Bible teacher, as a mom or a dad, as a husband or a father or a mother, wife, we desire to to give something to other people of value and worth. And what the Lord spoke to me last night was, Luke, just focus more for the rest of your life, not just in the next 24 hours or 18 hours, on what Peter says here. And commit this to defining you, Luke. Luke, if you do these things, don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry about your church or what they think of you. Don't worry about your church and if they know you're smart enough to put together a Bible study that has three points in a poem. Don't worry about that. And I fell instantly to my knees. And I both received it and I repented. So, Lord... I just want to be a man of God. I just want this to be, I want this to be authentic and true. And and I share that with you guys because I'm going to do my best to teach it as I believe the Lord would have me to teach it this morning. And I love you guys taking notes and I, I, I think you should take notes. And what the Lord is looking for is he's looking for friends who are disciples. He says, I call you friends. You're my friends. And as you guys hear the Lord's voice through his word this morning and respond in the way that he would have you respond, that you would walk in a greater intimacy with him, a greater purpose for him. So I'm just going to pray one more time before we get into God's word. Lord, I thank you so much for your kingdom that is coming. Lord, we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That in Jesus' name this day, those here, those online, those watching later would be convicted, Lord, and convinced of the greatness of God. And we would be alleviated and liberated from the smallness of planet Earth. We would be set free. I think of Stephen the waiter who became Stephen the theologian who died as Stephen the martyr who when he was being killed and persecuted wrongly saw heaven and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. He saw beyond it all, beyond the conspiracies, beyond the corruption, beyond the injustice, and his face was like that of an angel. But I would confess that my face isn't as angelic as often as I want. Would you give us those angelic faces? Like Moses when he spent time with you. And I pray, God, you would bless us as we study. 
Anoint this time, Lord. Take your word and do with it what you want. We need you. We love you. And we ask all this, Lord, for your glory and for other people's good. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, let's rip and grip and see what happens. It says this in verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind. Having compassion for one another, love his brothers, tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessings, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. We studied this last week, Valentine's Sunday. If you missed this teaching, go back and watch it, download it, podcast it, subscribe to it, YouTube, do whatever you got to do. Peter now says, finally. Not addressing husbands and wives or servants and employers or citizens. He says, all of you, and he gives seven instructions, six positive, do these things, and one, don't do these things. And then he says, here's why, to inherit a blessing, because you're called to these things. And I would just like to take the first word of verse 8 and the last sentence of verse 9 and read them together. Finally, that you may inherit a blessing. How many of you guys want to be blessed? Can I get a raised hand and amen from somebody? Okay, it might hurt. It might hurt. I want a blessing too. Here's the deal though. God is working from the timeline of eternity. He's working from the timeline and understanding of heaven, not just earth. And so when God says, I'm going to bless you, oftentimes it's not in the way that we would see or receive or define a blessing. You who've been around the block a few times and have been running your race for a while have gone through some things that at the beginning are not a blessing. And then when you get to the other end, you say, oh, well, turns out, turns out the Lord had some blessing involved in that. Turns out the Lord worked all things together for good because he's called me to his purpose. And I want you guys who are tracking with Peter here, writing to the first century church then, who are about to get persecuted to death. He says, oh, make sure you're kind. Make sure you're courteous. Make sure you're loving. Make sure you're humble. Why? Well, because you're going to get a blessing. Cool. I wonder what that blessing is going to be like. Ah, you're going to (laughs) die. Jesus, when he gave one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, he began with the Beatitudes, which in Latin literally means the extreme blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are you when you are reviled and spitefully persecuted. And he gives all these blessings. There's nine of them actually in Matthew chapter five, right there in the beginning. And if you were younger reading, you're like, these all don't sound like blessings to me at first. You know, it doesn't sound like, I'm just gonna read to you a few of these. These don't sound like blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Anybody like to be poor in anything? No, I'm an American, come on. (laughs) Blessed are those who mourn. Doesn't sound like Disneyland to me. Blessed are the meek more like weak. Verse five or verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. I don't like to be hungry ever. He goes on, blessed are the merciful. That means letting people go in their sin. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. There's gotta be peacemakers where there's war makers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Blessed are you when they revile you, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, it's as if Jesus has a upside down view of blessings. It's as if Jesus sees that, hey, the hard stuff in life, the unfair stuff, I can bless you in that. Now, we've been served up such a different narrative. Burger King did it largely. Said we could have it our way. Flame broiled whopper, whatever it's called, you know, that, that thing. Kit Kat told us we could have a break whenever we want. Just take a break, man. Staples, man, they didn't help us out at all. The easy button, remember that? You got bought the easy button? It didn't work. It's a lie. Here's, here's something crazy. Listen, Jesus said all that in Matthew 5, and then he goes on to say, because, because you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Time out. Jesus said, it's going to be gnarly. You're the salt. Salt is a a panacea. It preserves. It promotes. It protects. You can take salt and you can put it in 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 a wound, really, and it will purify it. It'll take that which is putrefying and rotting, and it'll slow that process down. It makes things taste better. It gives you an attraction. I want some more. Jesus said, you're the salt. 
Salty Christians. Don't look that up. And he said, you're the light, man. You're the light of the world. That in this world, there'll be darkness. But when people see you and they see the way you're navigating and they see that you're poor in spirit, doesn't sound fun. Let's just be, let's just be honest. Doesn't sound fun. I don't want to be poor in spirit. I want to be fired up. And here's, here, eventually you get to this point in your life when you're like, you know what? I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to embrace that. Peter didn't like this. James didn't like this. John didn't like this teaching. Rebuking Jesus, telling him he's crazy. We're not going to the cross. We're not doing that. I'm going to be the best. You're going to be the second best. I'm going to be the first best, arguing who's the greatest. But eventually they got into it. They're like, you know what? This is crazy. This is crazy. Everything he said is true. It's not about this world. It really isn't. This world is falling apart. It's, it's vanishing. It's not going to stay. It's not about my rights here. It's not about my comfort here. It's not about my cushy existence here. Your cushy, self-existent rights here will not produce eternal fruit. Thank you. It'll be fun. Might produce some sweet selfies. It's not going to produce any fruit. On Friday, I was invited to Vanita. Had to look it up. It's outside of Eugene. And I spoke at this teen drop-in center. Every Friday, this little church. They just started about six weeks ago. They opened up their church just and they bought a bunch of video games and a bunch of couches and they just said, we're, we're open. Every kid in town can come. Anybody can come. So for two hours, the, these people show up and, and they invited me to come to the part that they've called Real Talk, where they invite someone to share their story. And so I, I went there and, and as I was driving and I was just thinking about what God had put on my heart, he put on my heart Mark chapter five which is the story of the demoniac. I'm like, if I'm gonna give my testimony, I'm just gonna align myself with this guy. And when I showed up there, I, I made just a quick mention in the teaching to all these kids. Brought a bunch of South Beach Church hoodies and hats and just blessed these, these kids. Their eyes just lighting up with free swag. It was so cool. And, and at one point, I just kind of referenced the fact that Jesus, if you guys know the story, Jesus told his disciples, get in the boat. We're going to the other side. So they get in the boat and what happens on the way to the other side? They almost die. Now, do they die? No, they don't die. You know why they didn't die? Because Jesus said, we're going to the other side. He said, we're going to the other side. His word is true. He will back his play. He will do what he said he was going to do. And, I, and my main point was that Jesus went all the way to the other side for one dude that nobody else could help. And once he helped this dude, he got back in the boat and he bounced. And I wanted these kids who were in Venita who probably see themselves as the forgotten. So Jesus doesn't forget you. He's, he's here for you. He'll make a way for you. But I said something about how Jesus had called his disciples to get in the boat and that when you follow Jesus, there's going to be a storm or two. It's not going to be easy. And I just kind of made a reference point and went on. Three of the leaders there that night came up to me later and said, thank you. Thank you for mentioning that when you give your life to Jesus, it's still going to be hard. Separately. I just said it quickly because it's true. It wasn't even a real point. And these leaders in Vanita, they're not going to, they're, I'm they're just going to suffer in that existence, loving those kids, serving them, opening themselves up for God's glory and for others' good. And is it going to be easy some days and hard some days? Yeah. And so when Jesus said, blessed are you, and, and Peter says, if you want to inherit a blessing, here's how you're going to inherit this blessing. And then in verse 10, he segues a little bit. Read this with me. He quotes now, for who he who would love life and see good days? That's a question. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit and let him turn away from evil and do good. And let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Stop right there, eyes up here. First thing I want to say about Peter is that when Peter preaches, he uses the word of God. 
He references the word of God every time he has a chance to preach. In Acts chapter one, he used the word of God to lead the church. Acts chapter two, he's preaching the very first Bible study in the new church and he's quoting Joel chapter two. In Acts chapter 10, he's invited to Cornelius' house and he's quoting scriptures. Here when he writes his own epistle, he throws back and he quotes Psalm 34. Let me just make this application. If you wanna be a man or a woman of God, you need to be a man or a woman of the word, okay? Read his, read his word, please. And if you're not reading his word right now, repent and get back into it. And if you're not reading his word as much as you have at one season in your life, just take an inventory. What's going on? What's gotten in the way? Selfishness, smallness, social media, Netflix, Instagram. What's in the way? And do something about it. So here Peter references verse 30 or Psalm 34, and he references one of the craziest stories in the Old Testament. It's the story where King David is on the run from Saul, not a good day. He gets too close to the Philistines. He gets recognized that it's David. He's on the run from the Philistines. Not a good day. Listen to this. And so King David has a great plan. He pretends that he's crazy and he starts foaming at the mouth. And so the king of the Philistines says, it's just a crazy guy. Get him out of here. And David is delivered. And so David then writes Psalm 34. Now let me make this application. The application is this. Peter says, you want to be blessed? Yeah, I want to be blessed. (sighs) Then let's consider David in his worst days ever. In what David did as he trusted in the Lord to take care of him. In what David did as he looked to to God to deliver him from both of his enemies. And let me make this simple application for you and for me today that when we seek to have the cushy life and the insulated life and the isolated life, that's not where the fruit of God is made perfect and born, but instead it is when things are coming down on us and difficulty is all around us. And if you're like me in the natural, I don't want anything to do with that. I want it to be easier. I want it to be smoother. I want it to be better. And so oftentimes the Lord orders for us and allows for us to walk through some difficult days because that's where the blessings are. Most people, I've said this before, I'll say it again, aren't impressed by your Christianity when everything's going great for you, when everything's easy for you, when you're blessed and highly favored. They're just not impressed. You know what they are impressed with? When they see you going through dark times and you don't lose it all when they see you go through a death or a loss or a divorce. And instead of losing your mind, you double down and put your roots in the ground and produce fruit. Naturally, I want people to become believers here in Lincoln County. I just, I'm an evangelist. Like, I just want people. So I, so I create all kinds of ways to get the, the message out. Jesus is real hats and shirts. And we got the biggest billboard on our church outside that says Jesus is real, just in case anybody you know, forgets it. And, and, and all these things that, that, that communicate this message. And the Bible says that you and I are living epistles in our lives through thick and through thin, through setbacks and through issues are the longer epistle that God is writing in the lives of your neighbors, your friends, your family, your sons and your daughters. Let's just be honest. Who does not want the cushy life? Like, I want the cushy life, you know? Who does not want the vacation? Who does not want the brand new car? Who does not want the stuff? I just want the stuff. And God says, hey, you know what? When we get to heaven, okay, you're gonna have all that stuff. When we get to heaven, those are all going to be given to you. But right now is the time to let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's just look at what he says to you practically because this isn't just a throwback quote from Psalm 34 in order that we might reference ourselves with David, but he actually gives us some instruction. He says, who would love life and see good days? Anybody want to love life and see good days right now? 2021? Remember when 2021 began? Like, yeah! And like five minutes later, like, oh no, you know? (laughs) We're just going to love life and see good days. And he tells us exactly how to do it. He says, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a real action step there. Don't get in trouble with your lips. Don't send that text. Don't pound out that comment. Don't put that post. Have you guys ever regretted something you've said before? Anybody here? Okay, four people and a bunch of liars. That's awesome. So, you know what I'm saying? You were probably so guilty. Like, I'm not gonna raise my hand. Have you ever regretted, and maybe a few times, have you regretted not saying something? Like, oh, maybe a few times. Like, I should have said something, you know, just a, a few times. Here's what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. There is power in the tongue of both life and death. This is actually so cool. Your tongue, who you are, your words 
either are going to produce life or death. One or the other. The power of both is in your tongue. Careful how you wield and yield your tongue. James chapter 3 gives a warning. It says that the tongue is on fire by hell itself. The tongue. It has the power to ignite a forest fire. Want to see good days? Well, when you're like King David and it's not going well for you, be careful what you say. King David said all this stuff. He blesses the Lord. He seeks the Lord. And I would just say, man, if you've ever posted something on Facebook, like, I shouldn't have said that. I've got good friends in my family and in my life. My wife will text me, take that down. <laughs> I'm going to take what down? <laughs> if I barely post it, take it down. I take it down, you know. You ever just had like a real good, I've got posts on my notes on my phone that have never seen the light of day. Nobody else is ever going to see them. I've written emails to people and sent them to myself just so I could read it, you know, and carbon. No one else is going to read this because I'll go to jail if they do. And... <laughs> Careful. Careful, guys. He, he, you want to love life? You want to see good days? Refrain your tongue from evil. He goes on to say, let him turn away from evil and do good. Stop right there, Isaac, here. This is twofold. You know, Christians get a reputation for not doing a bunch of stuff. Have you seen this before? Christians don't do this, they don't do that, they don't do this, and they don't do that. And they kind of get this weird reputation that is accurate and true, but we don't do a bunch of stuff. That's fine. Don't do evil. He goes on, though, in this verse to say, turn away from evil and do good. Hey, Christian, maybe you quit drugs. Maybe you quit alcohol. Maybe you quit pornography. Maybe you quit strife and rage and anger and, 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 and fill in the blanks. You got all your, I mean, I don't do that stuff anymore. I'm delivered. Okay, are you as concerned and as committed to doing things in Jesus' name for others' good and for God's glory as you were committed to not doing the evil things that were destroying your life? This is imperative for the witness of God. See, the church has a bad reputation in some areas. Not because they're doing bad things, but because they're not doing anything good at all. They're just there to serve themselves. I've been in the church world for a couple decades now. And the slow demise of a church is when a church ultimately through a five-year or 10-year or 15 or 20-year period ultimately becomes inverted and self-focused. Where the church's existence is for itself to keep the system going and the wheels greased and the cogs moving and the church, man, we got to keep going. For, for what reason? For ourselves. You ever seen an apple tree eat its own apples? <laughs> a fruit tree produces fruit for other people. This is actually fun for me when I, when I just kind of boil this down. Like, Luke, what are you doing? Well, I'm not doing, I'm, try, I'm trying my hardest not to do bad stuff. Okay, that's good. Stay away from the, the stuff. There's temptation everywhere, is there not? And there's bad stuff everywhere with the internet and with social media and with legalization of drugs and man, oh, this bad stuff. Okay, duh, duh, don't do stupid stuff. But am I fired up to do good stuff? To serve people? pull over next to Starbucks and go talk to the people that don't have a home, love on them, pray for them, listen to them, volunteer at the youth drop-in. Am I, am I pumped? Anyways, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a twofold effort. You want to see good days? You want to love life? I do, I do. He goes on to say, let him seek peace and pursue it. I've got that circled. And in my Bible, it says, don't just tap out or give up. I'm going to read it again because it says, let him seek peace and pursue it. You ever tried to seek peace before and it didn't work? You just give up. I like how he says, seek peace and pursue it. This is action words. Hey, Christian, are you a peacemaker? Nah, they don't want to be peaceful with me. They just wanted to fight. I put a post on Facebook and they didn't like it. So now they're my worst enemy. Really? Even worse, I was on Facebook and now they blocked me. You ever get blocked before on Facebook? You ever get unfriended? Happens to me all week long. Seek peace and pursue it. You have two options in life. You're either going to become better or bitter every single day. Every single day. What's going to happen? Peter here says, guys, finally inherit a blessing. Do these seven things. He quotes Psalm 34. The worst days of David's life in David sees God provide. Your worst days can be a framework for God's best blessings. If you allow him, if you don't follow the temptation to become bitter, instead you become better. This, this is probably going to have a, a, a specific application in a relationship horizontally. 
where things are got, have gotten broken or twisted or maligned or messed up. Seek peace and pursue it. See how the Lord might energize you. He goes on to tell us why. He's still quoting from Psalm 34. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Stop right there, Isaac. He gives us three promises. He says, God sees, God hears, and God will fight. Now, when you come to believe this, Christian, God sees everything in your life. He knows the injustice. He knows the corruption. He knows the sin. He knows it all. By the way, if you're trying to hide your stuff from the Lord, he sees it. (laughs) Ah, ah. And his ears are open to your prayer. And he will fight your enemies. The very first lie in in the Bible... Genesis chapter 3 is when the serpent came to Eve and tried to undo all the promises of God. God said, I see you. I hear you. I'm going to provide for you. I got it all. And Satan comes in. He's like, I'm not sure if God really is listening. Why would he be listening if if the tree? and, And why would he? Are you sure? Are you sure? And Eve and Adam both began to question the promises of God. It's the first lie. It's the original lie. And there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same lie that Satan tries to tell you in your moments of stress, your moments of pressure, your moments of difficulty, your moments of unfairness and injustice. Oh, you better take this into your own hands. You better figure it out. When he says specifically, God sees, God hears, and maybe the best part, God will fight. How many of you guys want to fight your own battles? You guys remember when King David showed up to the battle? There was Goliath, one of my favorite stories. He shows up and he brought some cheese and some bagels to his brothers. He's like, oh yeah, you know. He's like, who's going to smoke this guy? Who's going to take him out? And nobody wanted to because they were scared. And then King David smiled. He's like, you mind if I do it? And here's why I have confidence that it's going to work. Number one, because that guy's on the wrong team. He picked a fight with God. He picked the wrong, he's on the wrong team. He's an enemy of God, not even of Israel. He's an enemy of God. Secondly, I've already seen God be faithful to me. God sees and hears. God's delivered me from the lion. He's delivered me from the bear. He's like, I'll throw a rock at his face. I don't care. <laughs> Throwing a rock at a giant's face is like not a good plan. Just being honest with you guys. Like not a good strategy. And I say that to say this. David wasn't relying on his own strength. As a matter of fact, King Saul said, dude, if you're going to do this, you're going to need my helmet. You're going to need my, my spear. You're going to need my stuff. And he started walking out like Robocop trying to get out there, you know, and he couldn't even move because of Saul's armor. He's like, I don't know, bro. Seems like a good idea, but it's not working. Instead, he said, God hears, God sees, and God's going to fight. Now, that's God's problem. That's God's job. Your job, seek peace and pursue it. Let your lips refrain from evil. Don't do evil, but do good. Seek to get a reputation in our town of being benevolent, kind, and generous in your neighborhood. You're the soft one. You're the kind one. You're the generous one. You're the one who's giving yourself sacrificially. Not just you're the goody two-shoe that's judging everybody else like so many Christians get that reputation because it's imbalanced. He goes on after quoting Psalm 34. And in verse 13, he says, And who is he? who will harm you if you become followers of what is good. I'd like to just kind of title this next section as we rip through it here, God's grace in suffering. Peter asked this question, who's going to harm you if you become followers of what is good? Verse 14, he answers that. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled by them. Stop right there, eyes up here. Peter's so rad. Man, who can harm you if you follow good? And maybe he like thought, thought about it. He's like, but if they do, don't be troubled. Did you know that in Christianity, nobody can harm you even if they hurt you? That's what the Bible teaches. Even if they hurt you, they can't harm you. Oh, it might hurt. It might take something down here horizontally, but they cannot harm your soul. Jesus warned and said, you better not worry about what can happen to the outside of the body. You should be very concerned about the person who can harm the outside of the body and put you in hell forever. That's the person you should be worried about. You see, we're so worried about what people think of us and offending people. And the world is largely not concerned about what God thinks of us and offending God. God's grace in suffering. I like in verse 13, and 
who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. How many of you guys just aren't there yet? When you suffer for righteousness sake, you're just not blessed yet. You don't see it. Anybody there? Raise your hand. I'm just not there yet. Like I'm suffering. It's a blessing. Like there's no cards in the, you know, Hallmark aisle there that say you're blessed because you're suffering. They just don't write that stuff. It takes a lot of years and a lot of faith to get to that point in your life where you're like, this is a blessing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into the fiery furnace. And they had two points of faith. They said, we're not bowing down. And guess what? Our God can deliver us from the fiery furnace. But if he doesn't, we're going to be toasted marshmallows for Yahweh. And they were ready to rock and roll. Either way. And Peter here is saying, hey, no one can harm you. It might hurt, but they're not going to harm you. Who? Even if you are reviled and persecuted, you're still blessed. I, I just want to believe this. I really do. Because in my flesh, man, I'm just a punch. Anybody punch hard when you get punched first? You're just like, you're just like knee-jerk reaction. Like, pop, pop. Oh, I, I, sorry. He's just, woo, still in me. <laughs> Suffering is not an evil thing. God's grace will meet you in your suffering. One of my favorite verses, and I, I like to paraphrase it, is Hebrews 12, 4. And in Hebrews 12, the writer encourages the Hebrews, and he says, put your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Run, run your race. Just, man, we're running around, keeping our eyes on Jesus. And then in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 12, he essentially says, and do it until you believe. What he says literally is you haven't resisted sin to the point of bloodshed. I like to put a Liam Neeson voice on there. You ain't bleeding yet. This is hard. This is tough. Hebrews 12, 4, you're not bleeding. Are you bleeding? Most of us aren't bleeding. Some, some people wouldn't have and, and, and did. Even if you should suffer, blessed are you. Look at verse 14 and notice the italic version or the italic text at the end. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. This is, again, another quote from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 8. Peter is a man of the word. Writing this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, referencing the scriptures, referencing the scriptures. Now he throws in a quote from Isaiah chapter 8. And in Isaiah chapter 8, King Ahaz was being attacked by the Syrians and the Assyrians and Israel was coming together. And all these people were forming conspiracies and confederacies and they were trying to get alliances. And Isaiah came to Ahaz and he said, don't do it. Don't shack up with the enemy. Don't sign an alliance with the Syrians. Don't do this thing. Here's why. Because God's going to fight for you. Here's the temptation when we come under duress, when we're under pressure, is to find out some unholy way to defend ourselves, some unholy way to protect ourselves, some unholy way to get ourselves out of this predicament, this pickle we're in. What does it say? I'll read it again, the italics. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Simply that. He goes on to say in verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This is underlined. This is highlighted. This is noted in my Bible. Verse, verse 15 of 1 Peter chapter 3. I hope it is for you too. Maybe it's the first time you heard it. Maybe it's something you've meditated on before. What it says is, is always be ready to give a defense or an answer for the hope that lies within you when you're going through trouble or distress. But before he gets there, he says in verse 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready. Let's talk about sanctifying the Lord God in your hearts. And this is where I think the Lord really busted me last night. When I was stressing and trying to prepare a message. Lord, how do I teach this? There's so much good stuff. I don't want to do this wrong. And the Lord simply asked me, have you set aside the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, Luke? Is he the most important thing for you always and in every area of your life? Are you focused on Jesus more than anything else right now? And I fell off my chair onto my knees in repentance and said, no. No, I'm trying to do good. I'm not trying to do bad. I'm trying to prepare a sermon. I'm trying to do all these things. And it's as if the Lord says, all of that comes out of sanctifying the Lord Jesus Christ in your hearts. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That as he is the most important thing about you, 
Everything else that comes out of you will be God glorifying and others edifying. But if that's not happening, if Jesus isn't the most important thing for you, if he's not set aside, even if you are able to accomplish a few things and move the ball down the field and see a few things happen, it's like a clanging gong in God's ears. You've just become religious. Guys, it's so fun to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. As a matter of fact, in your version, it might be a little different. In the margin, it says, but sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord. Not just set him aside for when I need him, but look at Jesus Christ as Lord, as the one that is going to be everything for me in this situation and in this difficulty. And if you're doing that, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you. Now he says here, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Stop right there, eyes up here. This word defense is where we get our English word apology or apologetics. It's where somebody says, why are you doing this? And you give them an answer. And when we hear the word apology, we usually think, oh, I'm wrong. Now I must backpedal and do something different. But to apologize for something doesn't necessarily mean you're wrong. It just means you're going to explain. I'm sorry you're offended at this. I'm sorry you don't understand this. Let me go ahead and explain to you why I have hope right now. Always, as a Christian, be ready because the Lord is sanctified in your heart to give people an answer, a defense for the hope that lies within you. Now, this infers a few things. First thing it infers is that people are asking you why you have hope. When was the last time that happened to you? You know, I was just watching you, and I am so impressed by your hope. Could you please explain that to me? Maybe that, it infers that that's happening. That from time to time people see you and they say, I just don't. It also infers, I should say differently, it infers that you do have hope and that it's evidenced. That when people see you, and in the context of what Peter's saying here, they see your life falling apart. Don't be afraid of anybody that can harm you, but even if they do... Trust the Lord. He sees, he hears. And when people ask you, why are you hopeful? When people come to you and they say, I see your marriage just fell apart and you didn't lose your mind. How'd you do that? I see your kids are walking away from the Lord and doing things they shouldn't do. And you haven't lost your mind. How'd you do that? Or maybe it's just a contrary reality in our society and nothing's falling apart. Maybe you actually have a wife that hasn't left you, a husband that hasn't left you, or kids that haven't left the Lord, and people would see and say, hey, how are you doing that? I noticed that your wife says nice things about you. How'd you get her to do that? I noticed that your husband loves you and cares for you. How did you get him to do that? Your kids, they respect you. They're good kids. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. We get our Christian ministry apologetics out of this word. People who are given towards the ministry of apologetics, those are those who study Old Testament, New Testament prophecies and scriptures, and they can give a defense when people say, what about this and what about that? And how does this work? And they can piece it all together. And hey, here's why and here's where and here's how. But this stems from sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts being ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, I'm so glad Peter put that on the end of verse 15. Do you guys remember Peter when he tried to witness to Malchus? Malchus was the high priest's uh, servant. Remember Malchus, and he wasn't a believer yet, so Jesus says, let me introduce you to my little friend, and he pulled his dagger out and started cutting Malchus's head off, you know what I'm saying? And now, later on, he's like, hey, 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 don't just win the argument, win the person too, you ever just tried to firebomb somebody with your truth? Just decimate them? Man, I'm just going to unload on this guy. I'm going to light this person up. Have you ever won an argument and lost a person? Raise your hand if you've done this with, with me, okay? I have won so many arguments and lost the people. Peter says, hey, give a defense for why you have hope. What's going on inside of you with meekness and humility and love? This would be a good thing for us to muse on. Okay, let me just give you something to write down in your notes. You got to connect before you correct. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Just, it's, just, I don't care. 
Connect before you correct. You ever tried to influence somebody you don't know? It's, it's really hard to do. Okay? You got you to gotta get their, their love, their heart first. And when you do, there's an opportunity for you then to correct them in love. Look at verse 16, guys. I really want to spend some time on here. Don't uh, check out. Tune in with me. Verse 16, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Stop right there. Eyes up here. He says, when you're in trouble, make sure you have an apology or an example or an excuse or not an example, excuse, or an answer or a solution for the questions they ask of you with a good conscience. So that way, if they defame you as evildoers, they will be ashamed. What he's saying is this. As a Christian, it is important that you have a good conscience. Now, you guys know what a conscience is. A conscience is something that goes off. It's like an alarm or a chime or a sensitivity within each and every one of us when we're doing stuff we shouldn't do. I like to use an illustration. It's kind of like the outside of our skin. Our skin's kind of like a conscience. If this was a hot stove and I touched it, woo I would know right away that that's hot and I would adjust and I would stop touching it. But if I kept touching it, eventually that conscience, okay, would become seared. And eventually that conscience would become unable to do its job. Now, here's the deal about our conscience. Here's, here's why it's so important. The Bible says have a good conscience because when people say, I don't believe you because, and then they point to your evil rap sheet and they pull up Lincoln County mugshots and there's a picture of you, <laughs> you know, smiling. <laughs> Your ability to then decimate or to, to disseminate the, the witness of Christ and the message of Jesus has gone down the tubes. Okay, it's just not going to go well for you because your conscience is dirty. People, keep your conscience clean because when you find yourself stepping out of bounds, you disqualify yourself and the message of Christ. It's important. The second reason, though, and this is what I want you guys to pay attention to, to keep your conscience clean is because if your conscience is dirty, if it's defiled, if it's seared, if it's evil, I guarantee you, you will not be able to communicate the message of Jesus Christ with anybody. Here's why. Because you won't want to. You won't want to. Have you ever had a, a dirty conscience? A guilty conscience? You just don't feel good because of the things you've done? If that is the case, you will be unable to move forward with giving the message of Jesus Christ out. This is one of Satan's number one ways to get the church to be impotent. Get the church mixed up in all kinds of weird things, silly things, lesser things, carnal things. And then the church walks around without a message, without a voice, without a backbone. Guys, the Bible actually gives us three different varying levels, actually four of our conscious state. Of, not our conscious state, our conscience state. The first level of conscience state is a good conscience. A good conscience where I touch something hot, ow! I drink something, ow! Ugh, ugh, ugh. You ever drink something really hot before hot coffee? Man, it's the worst. It ruins the next year of your life, you know? <laughs> One thing you don't do is just take another sip right away. Oh, it's just going to keep going, you know? Get it done, you know? Not only does it alert you to something too hot, you know, it's, ah, it's too hot. The other day I was going to the gym and I grabbed one of those little bottles from the cupboard and I threw some water in it. I don't know, man, it hadn't been washed in a while. My first sip, I was like, that bottle's not clean at all. And you know what I didn't do? I didn't finish it. I threw it out and got a new one. I was alerted. Or what happens is, is when your conscience goes from good to defiled. Titus chapter two, verse 15 says that your conscience can become defiled. I'll, I'll liken it as a picture of a window. When a window gets dirty and wet and eventually that light doesn't go in and out, you can't see as much and it's not completely blocked off, but it just doesn't work as good. Your conscience becomes defiled. And here's how our conscience is defiled in this world. We allow things into our life. We say things that come out of our life. We entertain thoughts and our conscience just becomes slowly but surely defiled. And here's the next step. It goes from good to defiled. And then the Bible tells us that it goes from good to defiled. And in 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 4.2, it says that our conscience becomes seared. Now check this out. When your conscience becomes seared, you don't actually feel what you should be feeling. And as a Christian, there were things that you entertained, things that you were doing that ultimately leads to places you said you would never, ever go, things you would never, ever say, things you would never, ever do because you can't have that feeling in there to alert you what's going on. And the third, or should I say the fourth, and the final position of our conscience is detailed in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15. It says that your conscience actually becomes evil. Now stop right there, eyes up here. Good conscience, that's what we're looking for. Defiled conscience, that's probably what we're dealing with because of the world. And there's just defilement everywhere. 
But if you don't take care of your defiled conscience, it will become seared. If you don't take care of your seared conscience, it will ultimately become evil. God forbid. I was listening to these two ex-Christians on a podcast that a friend sent me. I think their names are Rhett and Link. I was listening to these two guys just to gain some social data and information. And these guys used to be Christians, now they're not, and now they're kind of just eloquently talking against Christianity. They're undoing the structure of Christianity, and they've got millions of followers. As I began to think about these guys, they reminded me of those who have an evil conscience. It's not just that it's seared, you're doing stuff you shouldn't do. It's not just that it's defiled, that you're getting cloudy. It's that it's evil, that God is actually, you are actually being used by the devil against God. Have you seen this in Christianity or in people where they actually go against what God says? Not just that they're going and doing things they shouldn't do, but now they're proponents of absolute evil. This is a wake-up call. When the Bible tells you and me, be ready to give a defense with a good conscience. If you don't have a good conscience, you're not going to give a defense. If you don't take care of your conscience, it will be defiled. You won't see clearly You won't feel rightly. It'll lead to being seared. You'll be in big trouble. And then eventually, God forbid, I don't see that happening here, but I've seen people leave the fold of Christianity, leave and become enemies of all that is good and say, well, and they become evil. Not just struggling, but evil. Verse 16, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Verse 17, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Can I just make a quick reference here and we're gonna run out of time here very quickly. Verse 17, he says, it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. What if the bad news today was you're gonna suffer either way? (laughs) You do evil, you're gonna suffer, duh. And in our world, Genesis 3 beyond, if you do good, you're going to suffer. Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good. Here's the temptation with evil. When I do evil, I get an immediate return of something pleasurable, okay? The Bible says that evil is fun for a season. Okay, any parent who's teaching their kids right now that drugs and and all that stuff isn't fun, like you might want to just reverse your, your understanding and approach there and tell your kids the truth and say, oh, no, no, the lure and the temptation are there and it is super fun until it kills you. I'm very honest with my kids. I don't want them to find out that the world has all kinds of fun things on their own. I'm gonna tell them it's fun, but I'm gonna also teach them that in the end, it's suffering. It'll kill you. Sin will take you further than you wanna go, keep you longer than you wanna stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay every single time, no matter how small the margin is. Every time. And here's what I wanna challenge you who are trying to work out your Christianity, trying to do it, trying to develop your faith. Okay, doing works of righteousness and abstaining from works of sin is like planting seeds. When you plant seeds in the ground, how exciting is that? Anybody ever garden before? Planting seeds is the worst. Now, when I go to the garden shop, I want the plants that are already growing that I can like eat on the way home. I'm a starter gardener. I'm not going to do that seed garbage, man. You plant it there. You plant a seed in the ground, you're going to bed hungry that night. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's got time for that. Yeah, here's the deal. When you sow to the Spirit, you put seeds in the ground, and it will come back to produce fruit. The problem with Satan, the problem with evil, the problem with the flesh is that there is an immediate promise, an immediate payout. The Bible says, don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we don't grow weary. The temptation is to grow weary, to cash out, to spaz out, to tap out. Verse 17, it's better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than doing evil. Guys, trust him. I'm going to read this last portion. We'll study it out next week, but I want you to see this. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Final thoughts. He puts it all back on Jesus. 
He's talking about suffering. He's talking about having a good life. He's talking about having good days and loving life. And he says, because Christ suffered, you're going to suffer. We're all going to suffer. But Christ suffered that he might bring us to God, the just for the unjust. He suffered for our sin. It's all about Jesus. And I'm going to give you this last mandate before we go. We'll study the rest of these verses next week. The Christian must keep his or her life on message. It is all about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You need more Jesus. They need more Jesus. We all need some Jesus. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. We need Jesus. They need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. People with masks need Jesus. People without masks need Jesus. People who are vaccinated need Jesus. People who aren't vaccinated need Jesus. People who are poor need Jesus. People who are rich need Jesus. People who are sick need Jesus. People who are well need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. That is the message. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Lord, I just want to allow you to take inventory of my own heart. Maybe you would join me, Christian. Let the Lord take inventory of your heart. Lord, would you search me as it says in Psalm 139? Identify those wicked ways. Forgive me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, have your mercy on me. Forgive me. If you need forgiveness today, you're just here. You're, just, you're not doing it right. You're being sucked into a rabbit trail. You've been just, you're like Isaiah in chapter eight, prophesying to Ahaz, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't go there. Trust the Lord. You're like King David on the run who would conclude, trust the Lord. Oh, what a blessed day. Trust the Lord. Lord, I pray for help in my own life and in my lives of my friends. If you need help right now, if you just need help to be a more sensitive Christian, a more joyful Christian, if you want to love life and see good days, refrain your tongue from evil, seek peace and pursue it, to not do evil, but to do good. I just Would you just raise your hand? I'm not looking. Just raise your hand and say, Lord, help me, forgive me. Lord, help me and forgive me. Lord, show me in my life those things that are just defiling my conscience. Those things that have seared my conscience. Lord, would you do a supernatural work right now? Make us sensitive to the things of God. Alert us, Lord, to the things of the flesh and the things of this world that we would say, no, there's no fruit there. There's no life there. There's no hope there. And may we be men and women who focus on Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we need your help. And we expect your help. We call upon you. You see us. You hear us. You're going to fight for us. We trust you. Lead us now as we go our way. We plead the blood of Jesus over our body, mind, and spirits. Keep us safe, Lord, from all things. Help us to walk with you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen and amen.